Hello and welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackburn, Saturday Down South. In just a moment, Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com, is going to join me. We'll also be joined by longtime listener and Florida basketball uh, aficionado, Malik Grady, longtime uh, listener of the show and a guy with a lot of really good quality insights into the into the basketball program here. He's going to talk about uh, Florida's transfer exodus and, um, you know, what it means for the Gators, what it means for college basketball as a whole with over a thousand players in the portal. Um, so we're going to dive into a lot of those things and, and maybe some changes that we would like to see uh, Florida make with this opportunity to yet again reshape the roster. Um, we appreciate all of you listening and we just remind you that anytime you can leave a review for us on Apple Podcasts, hit a heart on Spotify, subscribe, uh, all that stuff is helpful to us and, and would help us um, acquire sponsorships and the things we need to keep this show going. So I appreciate all of you and hope you enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. We are live tonight, uh, diving deep into the, the transfer portal, sort of like the the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles descending into the sewers to tackle Splinter um, and all the evildoers beneath. I have no idea what I'm talking about. All I know is Florida has uh, pretty much I've heard there's 1,046 players in the transfer portal, Eric, and at least 1,027 of them uh, attend the University of Florida. Uh, yeah, I mean, by the numbers, I don't know how much worse off Florida is than a bunch of others. So, so yeah, if, uh, if if number of players in the transfer portal, if there's a certain number that you hit and then um, then when you, once you hit that number, you have a culture problem. Uh, there are a whole lot of schools in the country with culture problems. That's kind of the, the only way around it. And uh, again, that's not to totally um, take away from like, hey, maybe there's there's something that needs to be looked into a little deeper with some of the transfer. I'm not trying to downplay them, but at the same point, I do think that uh, much has been made about just the true number of transfers, and uh, it's just kind of a welcome to college basketball moment. This is uh, college basketball in, in 2021 moving forward. Um, some people aren't going to like it. Uh, that's uh, you know, I guess you'll deal with it or stop liking college basketball, I suppose. But uh, this is uh, this is the I was going to say it's the future, but it's the present. It's the present and the future. There's going to be this many kids in the portal every year, and uh, yeah, that's uh, <laughs> that's my that's my initial take on it. I know we hit a thousand in the portal in May of uh, last year, late May. They got to a thousand uh, before April this year, Eric. With and I think some of it is the one-time COVID rule. Some of it is the expected passage of the one-time transfer rule. Um, I think CJ Moore from the Athletic tweeted out a wild stat about how like no waiver got denied last year. Um, so, like, everybody that applied for a waiver got one. Kids know that their waiver is going to get approved right now. So, you know, why not uh, test the waters if, if you're even the slightest bit uncomfortable in your current position? The latest Gator to do that this week, Omar Payne, um, who uh, heads to the portal. Um, you know, and I think uh, 3.8 points a game. Um, three rebounds a game, not much of a different player than he was a year ago, unfortunately. 
Yeah, I would say that's uh, kind of the, the case. I mean, someone I wrote pretty hard is when he was in his freshman year saying that he should have played more, particularly next to uh, Kerry Black this year. Uh, and then, yeah, I, I mean, he was someone that before the season, before his, uh, this past season, uh, I think he was this, he was who I thought was going to be starting. Um, obviously, that wasn't the case, and we found out why pretty quickly, and it's because Colin Castleton was awesome. But also, yeah, I, I don't know exactly if – he added much to his game. Omar Payne did. Um, he struggled uh, to guard in space, really struggled to guard and pick and rolls. And um, something that was really interesting was like, yeah, he was an incredible kind of weak side shot blocker with that length and leaping ability, but he actually had really poor rim protection numbers. Um, also someone who was a really good offensive rebounder, but not someone who could take care of the defensive glass. So uh, there was definitely some moments of like where the athleticism was super explosive and, and, and fun. Uh, but then there was, yeah, just some of that like nuts and bolts stuff that you need from a big man, rebounding rim action, being able to guard in the pick and roll. Yeah. It just wasn't there. Yeah. Uh, Drew Helmich said his free throw shooting was better. I did think towards the end of the year okay. when he shot a couple of free throws, he, he was noticeably improved in his uh, free throw form. Um, he still picked up too many moving screen fouls. I counted. He had eight this season. Uh, that's, that's not great in 25 games, uh, given his limited minutes, Eric. Um, you know, and yet I think of the four Florida transfers, and I include Noah Locke in this category because Noah's going to be a senior. I wonder if Omar is a guy who, with a fresh start and maybe a different voice, uh, figures out who he is as a basketball player. Yeah, I'm really interested to see his progression because, again, the thing with Omar Payne that I think that this kind of starts with is like the fact that he, like, if you just look at his skill set, um, he is a center. He just doesn't doesn't stretch the floor. He doesn't offer much passing out of the high post or anything like that. Not someone who can particularly handle the ball. Like when you look at his like straight skill set, he is a five. He is a center, kind of through and through. Uh, but one of the things that's just obviously was made even more noticeable when he subbed in for Colin Castleton is like, man, like Omar Payne is pretty small. I feel like I, I again, I mean, in high school, he was listed at like six, eight. Then he came to the Gators was listed at six, nine as a freshman. Uh, this year he was listed at six, 10. So I guess I'm not sure exactly how, uh, how tall he really is. I guess I, I think he was cl- a lot closer to six, eight than he was six, 10. I'll tell you that much. And yeah, there was matchups where he just looked, very, very undersized. And again, I just think when it's like uh, he's someone who's probably going to have to play the five, uh, yeah, yeah, there's minutes where um, he's going to be undersized. And again, for someone who doesn't have a lot of offensive upside at the moment, he's someone who you th- probably think has to be really impactful defensively. And again, that's where uh, he just he just really struggled to contain uh, ball handlers um, and pick and roll. And there were just some rough moments there. So it's like you, you look at his skill set and you say, oh, he's got to be an impactful defensive player. And it's like, well, he's undersized and has lacked some of those skills you need to be an impactful defender. So uh, yeah, we'll see if those those that kind of raw talent, um, see where it takes him and, and uh, how he can develop that. But uh, yeah, right now, I think if he's looking at Colin Castleton likely coming back, um, it's not like his role was probably going to increase. I, I think that it was a last resort for Mike White to want to play him at the four. So I can, I can, you know, I can see it for him why he'd want to go somewhere else where he can get more minutes. Neil is muted currently, um, so he's coming. Try, I got to. 
<laughs> Neil, I think we got to have the one caveat. I mean, you you uh, you addressed it right away, but we are live on Twitter at the moment, which could make for um for listening on on one of the podcast podcast platform. Could be a moment like that. I know you shouted out. Uh, that's our first caveat. Our second caveat is yeah, we're doing portal talk, which. Uh, uh, you know, these days could mean this could be very outdated in like a few hours. So, I mean, hey, we're going to talk about uh, going to talk about the uh, the names of Flores after all that. But uh, the, the the world moves quickly, spins quick in uh, in transfer world. But uh, sorry, Neil, now that you're unmuted, uh, your Omar Payne takes. No, I just wanted to shout out Tracy um, and and uh, say hey to her. Um, longtime listener. And we appreciate that. Look, I mean, I think there's a lot to Omar's ceiling, right? Like he's not, I, I, again, I just think fresh voice, uh, different, different set of ears, um, maybe a different style. Um, somebody that's going to use that rim runner and, and truly get up and down somebody who playing fast might actually be in his DNA, if you will. Um, you know, I think some of that could, could do Omar a little bit of, a little bit of good. Um, so we'll see. Uh, but, but certainly, Losing minutes to Jason Jatobo even late, I think, under kind of fell behind him on the rotation. Uh, you know, Jason, maybe the most skilled big on the team, uh, according to some program insiders, uh, in terms of his offensive ability, um, which is interesting, uh, but also, you know, something that's that's fertile fodder, I guess, for our offseason shows about what Jason needs to do uh, to, to get more involved. Colin Castleton, the, the all-SEC big on the team, declares your thoughts on him testing the waters before we bring on our boy. Uh, yeah, I, I'm happy he's testing the waters. I, I think it's a great opportunity for these players. Uh, I don't really see the the harm that can be done. I mean, I, I do think for some players that, again, that are uh, – I, I think for a player who comes out of high school as proje- uh, projected NBA talent, if his skill set is not really there, I do think that some of those players can do damage because uh, first impressions can be tough to shake. So I think some players that go that uh, – that are like have have NBA pedigree out of high school. If they're looking pretty raw in college and they go have a bad workout, uh, that's going to leave a bad taste in the mouth of, of teams recruiting him. But for Colin Castleton in, in his current situation, um, yeah, I mean, why why not go and talk to some teams and and just kind of gauge gauge interest and, uh, and and start to build those relationships. I mean, Colin Castleton was on Patrick Young's podcast uh, a little while ago. Uh, I hadn't actually heard Colin Castleton speak a lot before that podcast, but uh, I loved listening to him talk. Just a, a really pleasant guy to listen to, uh, listen to him talk and um, the way he talked about basketball, the way he talked about wanting to one day open up um, a homeless shelter. Just really interesting guy, really well-spoken. I think that that's going to do really well for him. So I, I'd love for him to start building those relationships. And again, he's someone that I'm not sure that he's ever going to be drafted. I would guess that he is not going to get drafted, but I think the teams would definitely get him in there um, uh, for their summer league on their G League roster. So start to build those relationships now um, and save some time after next year or whenever, whenever it is. So, uh, yeah, full support for me for, for what he's doing. Couldn't agree more. I think any player that can utilize the system as it exists should. Um, and for a guy like Colin who just had a huge um, jump, from one season to the next. Uh, again, great example of somebody who found a new voice, uh, found a new set of eyes, and excelled. So that's why kids transfer. Uh, Colin Castleton is one of those stories. We are going to bring on our guy, uh, Malik Grady, one of the original Wingspan truthers. And I think more importantly for, for uh, our purposes, 
one of the people who struggled through the audio issues on this podcast in year one and uh, <laughs> and grinded it out. Anyway, Malik, man, what's up? Doing good, man. Doing good. It's good to be on with you guys. Um, this is the podcast I think that if I could have imagined a podcast podcast for the Gators throughout the years. This is what I would have created in my mind. The, the, the Fever Dream podcast, you know, with great insight, you know, guys that love the program, have history, but also have, have knowledge, but different views and stuff. So just love being on with you guys and love talking basketball with you anytime. Yeah, it's great to have you on. I mean, this should have happened probably um, a, a, a much earlier. Um, you're Malik. I've got to say, you're probably my like favorite person in the Gator Twitter, um, Gator basketball Twitter space. I just think that um, both your your humor, your levity at times, and uh, also just I feel like you've got your pulse on uh, uh, on the feeling of Gator fans more than just like anyone else. Like uh, I and I. And I maybe didn't articulate that as well as I would have hoped to, but I just feel like if I, you know, to really get the temperature of where Gator fans are at, um, I feel like you're the guy. So it just makes, makes so much sense to have you on. Well, and what I love about all of us is that we have that very much uh, optimistic feeling about basketball. And I do want to shout out Tracy as well. Me and Tracy do go way back. We actually worked together back in the day at a realty place uh, in Gainesville. And um, Tracy's freaking fantastic. And, um, you know, loves all kind of Gator sports and just, you know, just someone you could just hang with and talk with for just 30 minutes or an hour, just fantastic person. So I definitely want to shout her out too. Love it. Um, Malik, man, we, we started with Omar Payne uh, and, and kind of one illustration of Colin Castleton and how he benefited from leaving Michigan and like working mm -hmm. with, with some of the Florida coaches and playing in a little bit of a different system, playing closer to home. Obviously Omar would have to go to like UCF to get closer to home, <laughs> but um, you know, kind of your thought on, on, on uh, Omar's departure, especially as a wingspan guy. I know, I know that the ceiling for Omar uh, has to be something that, that a lot of Gator fans yeah. are like, you know, well, it's, it's disappointing. I mean, I, I think, what I usually think of when guys leave the program is usually I, I, I feel like the program is usually going to be bigger than any one player. So in the end, the program is probably going to end up being okay. Just that's what I usually think. There's some that hurt more than others, obviously. But with Omar, it just feels like such a lost opportunity because um, the Gators had gone so long without having a top 50 player who was also a big man. Um, I, I want to say – that um, what what's what's the gosh I'm, I'm drawing a blank. The, the big guy that Donovan recruited as a transfer never actually played for us. Got hurt. Egbunu. Egbunu. He he was a top fifty, top sixty big man. Um, but then after that, you had such a drought even before and after of those big men that that were big name recruits. So to get Omar was such a big boon and a big deal for us to to get him and to have him where it's just yet yeah, two middling years. And, you know, kind of didn't show the promise. We all think back. I, I guess the most fond times you think of are the the great lineup next to Kerry Blackshear that had the great plus-minus numbers. Um, but that was, was short-lived. You had the Auburn game. But it's like, was he a four? Was he a five? He was just so much. He didn't really time. Obviously, we had the, the plague years and everything. But. I don't know, it, it just felt like a lost opportunity. And then specifically with Al Pinkins, 
who was a guy who you thought was your big man guru, who had developed all these big men and was going to and had had that great senior year with Kavarius Hayes. Like you, th- I thought the sky was the limit, and you really, to go from that promise to now Omar Pangon, uh, Osaya Sifo, Alpine's handpicked big man gone, and then possibly in my mind thinking is Al Pinkins going to be next, maybe joining Chris Beard when he goes to Texas. It's just such a, it's such a, a turning of the page in the past three years from the elation of getting Omar Payne and realizing he had a seven foot five wingspan, you know, the, <laughs> the alpha and omega. So to now being gone, it's just sad, you know? Of course, Malik brings it right into the, uh, uh, the seriousness of like, Hey, this is uh, an interesting look at, at Al Pinkins. Yeah. Someone who's brought in to be, uh, to be the big man whisperer. And, uh, of course, you know, on the, the last podcast, I, I was pretty candid about my opinion of the Osayo Sifo situation, which I think was just a miss through and through and uh, a miss that I don't even think is really defensible. I just, I just don't see any outcomes where, where that was going to really work. Uh, so to now see, uh, to now see, uh, you know, Omar Payne, the exact type of guy that I think someone who is really keen on working with big man would say like, Hey, here's a guy with athleticism and length, but is really raw. That's exactly the kind of guy I want to work with. Well, I, I, you know, Malik, I think you led in with two meddling years and, and I would say, yeah, that was, that was a little bit, of, a little bit of what it was. Yes. There was a few games of absolute glory uh, with him in the starting lineup next to Gary Black year. And that'll always be uh, something I, I remember dearly is, is pulling those lineup numbers and, quoting them when they uh when that lineup didn't play together uh after a couple of games um but uh but yeah never never really worked out for him and yeah it's just uh just something that uh is an interesting look at at you know Florida's developments I guess and and yeah particularly their their big man coach Al Pinkins yeah yeah I mean I, I think and we talked a little bit about this on the last podcast I mean you know if you if you look at it superficially, you say, well, when Pinkins has been here, Florida's had an all SEC big man every season. But those guys have been a senior in Kavaria Says, who's a fifth year senior. Now, granted, I think Al, that's probably mm-hmm. Al's, like Malik said, that's his best coaching job. Kerry Blackshear, who did exactly yeah. what he did at Virginia Tech. Nothing better, nothing worse. Um, and then and really struggled more defensively in the SEC because it's a more athletic league, I think. Um, and because for whatever reason, uh, you know, much to the lamentation um, for the bib- we need a biblical reference with Malik on the, on the program, um, <laughs> much to the, much to the lamentation of Florida basketball hour, uh, Florida refused to adjust its pick and roll defense to carry Blackshear. Uh, for I don't know an entire season. Or it's offense, really. I mean, the offense wasn't adjusted for carry either, in my opinion. So, so, um, and then this year, Colin Castleton, and now Colin has said that he loves working with Al, but that's great. Except you have to juxtapose and or counterbalance that or countenance it, whatever word you want to use, with Osiosifo and the spectacular failure of that recruiting choice. Um, mm. And I think. You know, the fact that now Omar's leaving the program. And, you know, I don't think anybody would say that Anthony DeRuji, who profiles as a power forward and who we talked about as somebody that might play the five in spots, you know, I don't think anybody would say he had a great year. 
Yeah. I mean, he kind of, he kind of Dennis greened. He is who he thought he was uh, to paraphrase. <laughs> right. Right. Well, and, and I, I, I also, I wonder, did they ever know what Omar Payne's best position was even, you know, like, uh, I, I guess he was a center, but he seemed to flash. Like he, he if your if your position is what you can guard, it really seemed like Payne could have easily been a, a four. Now the question is, you know, do you have have the spacing enough? Um, I, I was surprised that Castleton didn't even try more threes. I wish they had been a little more creative with him. But even like I was saying, going back to lat to last year, I mean, I think part of the reason why Kerry Blackshear wasn't as dynamic at Florida wasn't just because it was you know, a different conference and he had, you know, different teammates. It was because Florida did not use him nearly as creatively as Buzz Williams used him. And basically their idea was that, hey, now we have this big guy. Let's give him the ball. Everything's going to be great. Whereas Buzz Williams used him in, I mean, Eric will tell you, he used him in all kinds of things. I mean, I didn't, I didn't use, see as many things as you saw, but it seemed like they were using him on, you know, high pick and rolls and, you know, all kind of big to big roles, all kind of stuff that he was doing that you didn't see any of that for Florida. I really thought if KBJ had been just like a garbage guy, like not have the offense go through him at all, just be a guy who gets rebounds and do secondary action off of that, that'd have been something. So I, I, I do think that doesn't go on Al Pink because that more goes on the creativity and just the overall offense, you know. But I don't know. What what we'll see what happens with with Deruji in the in the, the next year. I wonder, did he improve in that year than he was off at all? I don't know. I mean, Eric could probably talk more about that, I guess. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I've got to say, you know, so what really reminded me of uh, of what they were Virginia Tech did with Kerry Blackshear is watching Loyola Chicago and watching how they uh, how they play through Cameron Crutway again. Here, here is my here's my official take on what the next pot the next. Um, thing that everyone's going to do offensively is, and it's going to be, we saw Loyola do this all year. Um, and you see in the NBA all the time, especially with like Nikola Jokic uh, um, and Virginia tech with Buzz Williams did this carry black year, but all those, like all those pin down screens into dribble handoffs from the big are so tough to guard. Um, and that's what we just saw with like Alexander Walker and, and, and Robinson, those really talented guards at Virginia tech is yeah, they get ran these, they pin down from the wing. So the defender's already chasing them. And then Kerry Blackshear with the ball in his hand would have the read to either dribble handoff to, to Mikhail Alexander Walker coming off these pin downs, um, or, you know, keeping the ball or, uh, facing up from there and and i saw just loyola just like kill illinois doing that there's just those like constant pin downs into dribble handoff uh, you hear it called chicago all the time if you like watch that kind of those uh, uh from the coaches that like to teach that style of offense and and yeah i just think seeing loyola chicago do it i'm like man this is and seeing the way that denver does it you see in the nba all the time like this is the offense everyone's gonna start doing in college soon i'm gonna call it now um but yeah that's what virginia tech did and then again to see for florida I mean, the one thing that really sticks out to me, and I remember just, yeah, there was lamentations from this guy on the podcast um, after the Florida State game where uh, Mike White said, um, oh, they miss, we, we missed Duckins to carry Blackshear all game. And, uh, you know, that's that's how we didn't get the, we didn't get the ball to carry Blackshear because we, uh, we just missed him on Duckins. And I was like, man, that was the, that was the game plan to get him in the offense was Duckins at the end of plays. Um, yeah, and I think that that said a whole lot to me about, how they just, I don't think they had a great plan of how to utilize big men. Um, yeah. No, Malik, I am, I am with you. I, I think that that is more of a, an overall game planning and, and how are you going to scheme your offense thing more than it's like a specific Alpingans thing. But I think there's, there's, 
I, I, I kind of think two things. I think one, it's like, well, like I, I still think if, if, if you were the big man guy and Florida keeps running these plays for Colin Castleton where they throw it to him in the post and then don't do anything. And then it makes him far too easy to double. I think that's gotta be, got, that's gotta be your space to be like, Hey, we're having difficulties with it. Like this is a, you know, maybe, you know, Al Pingens isn't the offensive coordinator. Um, but if he's like, Hey, you're running a post-up play. Like this is, you're, you're now stepping into my sphere. Um, I don't like that. We run this play this way. I don't like the angle we're getting. I don't like this off the ball action. This is why we're turning the ball over. This is why we can't get a good look or Hey, Colin, we, this is, this is the way you're getting the ball. Um, that, that turn to your right shoulder, it's not going to be here. This is why you're going to have to use this move. If that move isn't there, you get the ball out. So Mm. while I can, it is a little bit more of a schematic thing on the whole I still think like again even if it's even if it's not a great offense it's it's still you, you've got to be able to get kind of some more out of out of your guys within that so um yeah I'm, I'm with you Malik and that's just yeah what I would what I would add seems like a good time to interject this uh French something question about feeling the effects of recruiting for ranking rather than fit and so this is where I'll pivot a little bit from an answer I gave two years ago and say no uh, at this point, I think that they – what is the fit? What is the identity of what they want to do on offense? Because it's hard to say, you know, it's hard to recruit for fit when you're not sure what you want to be. Um, and I think that's kind of Florida's issue right now offensively, and it's why I wrote on Saturday Down South that they an offensive coordinator is necessary. Um uh, you know, another point I think, I don't know if I made this to Eric off air or, or when, but I do think that Mike White calling plays repeatedly from uh, the bench the last two seasons, Florida was really set reliant the year before that, um, which happens when you when you play with three freshmen. But, um, you know, I think that takes away from the program defensively and the defensive culture that he had installed his first three seasons because he has to focus on this other aspect of his program, you see it all the time in, in college football. And you're like, well, you can't, you can't do that. It's the same in, in college basketball. And in fact, in a 40 minute game where a head coach, a lot of times is just observing flow. Maybe it's an even bigger problem. These aren't excuses. These are legitimate critiques of the staff that, and things that have to be fixed and, and reasons why someone like an offensive coordinator a Chris Acker from San Diego state would make sense um, because, you know, somebody has got to come in and they've just got to hand the offense to him. That's something that, um, and, and, you know, everybody knows the Donovan Shiat example that's, that's around Florida, but it's not unique to Donovan and Shiat. You Yaklich took a Michigan defense that was finishing outside of the top 50. And now a staple of that culture is defense, even with Yaklich far away. So, um, mm-hmm. You know, you could fix it with that type of hire. So I don't think long-winded answer to French something's great question, but I don't think so. It's the job of the staff to figure out a way to use Omar Payne. It's the job of the staff to identify the ways that Buzz Williams used Kerry Blackshear to first team all ACC status and say, we can do that. And, and saying we missed Duckins against FSU for God's sakes is not, that's not it chief. Um, so you know, that's, that's kind of, I mean, that's as, as hot as I get, I guess, but I don't even think any of those are hot takes. It's just, you know, that's, that's kind of the reality of where the program is right now. And I don't know what their identity is offensively. I still think that defensively 
the culture is quite good. I think it's the best part of the culture still, uh, although not as good as it has been. But I've gotten to the point now where I think fixing the offense is more important than fixing home for culture. And I've been talking home for culture for four seasons. Well, what's funny to me is that I think that, and again, this might just be like a, a, a shock. I mean, Florida's had some good bigs last couple of years. I think the best fit for what Florida wants to do offensively, the center that fit that fit their offense the best was Kavarius Hayes, because if they're going to pick and roll so much, uh, they need someone who can space the floor vertically. And that's, that, that, that was Kavarius Hayes. You could catch lobs and, and finish over the top of defenses. So it's just kind of funny that like, I'm not saying Kavarius Hayes is the best offensive player. I think he's, Obviously, Kerry Blackshear's a better offensive player. Obviously, Colin Castlin's a better offensive player. But if you were to say, like you said, Neil, and I think it was maybe a little bit rhetoric about like, well, what it, you know, what are they trying to fit? What what role is it? Well, I think it's like the way they play would suggest the center they need is someone who can um, space the floor vertically and, and catch lobs. So it's just kind of funny that like the worst offensive center they've had to start off um, is it was probably the best fit <laughs> in my opinion. Well, I mean, the, the fact that, you know, we're, what, six, seven years in, and to his credit, Mike White always seems ready to make a change, to own up to mistakes, to say, hey, we don't know what, what we're doing. Let's fix this. It's just that after six or seven years, um, you get to that point where you're like, man, I, I really wish you kind of knew what you wanted to do and found a way to execute it rather than saying, we're going to find a way. You know what I'm saying? And then my question now is like, let's say you get this great offensive coordinator. Uh, let's say you get a, another coach who kind of tweaks up. Uh, who are those coaches that Mike White is going to respect enough to turn it all over to them and listen to them? And also, in the key moments, you know, when you're in the FC tournament, when you're down against a big team, is he going to clinch? Is, is he? going to take back the reins you know he's gonna go back to what feels natural or is he going to trust the, the process and that's what we talked about before the process right now is what we, we have the, the, the issue with more than even sometimes the execution all the, all the execution hasn't been great so i, I just wonder I, I really continue to think that mike white does what he did as a player which is um rely on grit rely on playing hard rely on physicality, um, rely on just mentally being tough at the end of the game to somehow find a way to figure it out offensively. And I just, I just don't think that that, that that kind of mentality enough in, in modern basketball to be really compete for the SEC, you, you really have to be able to outthink and outcoach your opponents and stuff. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm worried. I'm <laughs> very worried. <laughs> well, I, yeah, that's those are all great points. And, and even, yeah, something that, that you said, Neil, disregarding the, uh, uh, the the feeling like you have to call plays every time down the floor. Like, again, something that I just – I harp on so much, and it's something that whether I'm coaching my high school guys or in my kind of the consulting I've been able to do or talking about Florida basketball, I just – something that's so big to me is winning on the margins. And I just feel with Florida, of course, lineup data is something that I feel like they haven't gotten the most out of um, by by utilizing that and getting the best lineups on the floor. I also feel like, again, some of their play calling hasn't been hasn't been the best. I feel like they haven't been able they haven't been taking advantage of two for ones or intentionally fouling or 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 anything like that. I just feel like, again, like there's there's stuff that you are going to miss if you're thinking every time down the floor, I've got to call a set um, because, you know, as Mike White was doing kind of 
of playing that offensive coordinator role. So I just feel like, again, like there are so many times that I looked at the lineup and I said, you know, I, I think this is the incorrect choice and this is why I hear the numbers to support that. Well, when, when white is trying to think about calling a play, and then maybe that play didn't work. And then, you know, the other team's coming down the floor and he's thinking like, oh, well, what, what went wrong there? I got to space it out. Um, then Florida gets the ball back and it's like, okay, um, uh, we're, we're calling, um, you know, horns down. And then I just think again, like in, in that process, you're probably missing the, oh, what's the best lineup that I can go? Uh, what, what's the best lineup right now? What do we want to go to? What do we want to go to in four minutes? Like scripting the game that way. I just, I, I, again, there's just so much that goes into, that goes into coaching. And that's just something I first think about what you said, Neil, uh, regarding the having to call a play. And then also kind of dovetailing into what you said, Malik, about is Mike White going to trust those guys? Because again, there's just so many subtleties to the game of basketball and to coaching basketball and to managing a game. And again, I just think you've got to be able to trust your guy so that if you're, if your guy who has the lineup data and has been tracking that stuff, if he tells you, Oh no, we shouldn't be playing this lineup or we should be playing this, or maybe, Hey coach, maybe we want to try this out. Uh, you've got to be able to trust them or your defensive guy who says, Hey, we should do this or your offensive guy. Like, yeah, it's an interesting point, Malik, just about like, not only, do those kind of soft skills need to be there? It's also got to be like, Hey, can, will, will, will he trust them to do those things in the, uh, at the biggest moments of the biggest games? Because again, another, another trend on the podcast, I think that's where you, you really tell what, uh, what someone's belief is, or, or, you know, you really tell identity in those moments, the biggest, the biggest moments of the biggest games. Yeah. That's the point that we made a, a bunch of the season was, you know, with the playing fastest in my DNA thing. And then it, it just, at pivotal moments, it just never was. Um, certainly, I mean, you're playing Oral Roberts and they got six guys and your decision is let's slow the game down and, and stall ball possessions away. Playing fast isn't in your DNA when you're doing that. Um, CLT Gator says he's pausing Godzilla versus King Kong for this. Uh, worth it. So shout out to him. Uh, happy birthday to his uh, daughter recently celebrated her birthday as well. Ethan 12YT uh, says, what's up guys? Hey man. Uh, thanks for, for hopping in here. Um, French something says the dribble drive has failed several years in a row. Go into it with a backup plan ready. I mean, I think that they, so I'll give them a pass on a backup plan this year. And, and this would be one defense that I've, I've made, which has gotten some pushback on twitter.com where everybody's known for having a level head is that uh, I think this year they didn't have that capability. Uh, because what happened to Keontae is this huge trauma, and they don't even touch a ball for two weeks instead of practicing. Um, and then essentially they came back and had one day of practice and dove right into SEC play and had to figure out what they wanted to be without Keontae Johnson on the fly. Set aside the, the trauma of Keontae and processing all that grief and stuff that I think that they're going to be dealing with all summer, a lot of them. Um when you're an SEC play and it's just a game, hydrate, rest, scout, implement game plan, there is no time for any of that. Uh, so the closest Florida had to any sort of break where they might have been able to do that on film or video would have been the third COVID pause. And as I told Eric, and I, def- I will defend this point too, I, I think like, I rewatched the Virginia Tech game. Uh, other than the first 30 minutes of the Oral Roberts game, the best basketball Florida played after the COVID pause was the 30 minutes after the first 10 minutes of the Arkansas game. 
uh, in Fayetteville where they were very good uh, and, and overcame what I can 18 point deficit to take the lead um, and then, and lost, you know, and you could argue some calls didn't go their way. And you could also argue that Arkansas argue uh, Arkansas executed better down the stretch and either one of those things uh, would be fair to me, but I thought Florida played quite well in that game and then didn't play that well thereafter uh, with the exception of like, you know, they showed character against Virginia Tech, sure. Uh, and then they played really well for 30 minutes until they slowed the game down against the Royal Roberts. Well, it's interesting. So so I know that I've shouted about many times. I love Evan Mia and his site. Um, or sorry, Evan Miyakawa's actual name, Evan Mia's his site. Uh, so I love his, uh, I love his site. Anyways, they, he has a stack called True Tempo, which I think is fascinating. Um, it's essentially like uh, like adjusted offensive efficiency from Ken Palm, except for tempo. So essentially, it's like how fast does it would a team play against average Division One competition, or for lack of a better term, how fast, you, how much does a team actually dictate tempo? So. Um, so Florida was 197th in true tempo, which essentially suggests that they played fast against teams that, that who had their opponents play fast all year. And Florida played slow against teams that allow teams that, that, that to play super slow against them. So Florida didn't dictate the tempo very well. And I, and I was talking to, to Evan Mia just about his, his process about going into that and making sure I understood it properly. And he's like, yeah, that's, that's essentially it. I mean, so you look at Florida's average possession length and yeah, it was like in the top 90, but when you look at the teams they played, a lot of those teams um, allow really quick possessions defensively. So, and then again, so that it, it kind of went along with the eye test of like, yeah, Florida had some games where they played really fast, but um, kind of on the whole, uh, when they went again, when they played teams that uh, uh, are average at slowing teams down, Florida ended up playing really slow. So I think that that's even something to, to think about in, in the fact about like, you know, how fast did Florida play? Well, uh, yeah, this true tempo would suggest that like, well, they, they played fast against teams who wanted them to play fast, but they didn't, uh, didn't actually dictate the tempo themselves. Yeah. And I think last year they did a better, really, you know what? You know, the year they did the best job of dictating tempo was probably the year they did the best job of dictating tempo was probably the year that they went 20 and 16 and kind of snuck into the NCAA tournament through the back door with Kavarius Hayes, Eric. I, I mean, they, they weren't terrific at it last year. And, you know, it's funny to talk about a program that finished in the top 50 in Kim Palm offense and then the top 30 in Ken Palm offense a year ago as, as needing an offensive coordinator. But these are precisely the reasons why. Like when is the last time Florida established and controlled the tenor of a game with its offense? Um, I think that you really have to go back to Chioza or like I said, you have to go back to a dominant defensive team that kind of was able to use its defense and then uh, a really set reliant good late shot clock offense uh, despite Jalen Hudson's disappearing act that season, uh, because the last two years they certainly haven't been able to do it, Eric. Well, yeah, and and, and again, it's something where uh, again I think the context matters and the eye test matters, and again, like Florida's offense, I, I think it has been worse than the numbers would suggest, and I think it's I, I would say it's because you know Florida's had some very very talented players. And I think that uh, some of that, like Noah Locke shot making or Trey Mann finishing ability or getting offensive rebounds from Colin Castleton that he finishes with high percentage layups, 
I, I feel like that kind of bolstered what I would say by my eye, you know, and again, this is, this is just my eye test, but I just look around the country at different teams that I like to watch or that I scout for other things. And I just see what Florida runs versus what I'm seeing from a lot of other programs. And I just don't think that Florida's offense is at the caliber of what they would like to see, what I would like to see, what the fans would like to see. So, so again, yeah, you, the, the numbers are actually not awful, as you mentioned, Neil, but I've got to say, I mean, I think if you were to look at, you know, what are, what are they running? What is, if you were to, to, to chart it out and, and make a playbook and kind of explain, like, I, again, I just, I, I do think it is, it is lacking to be honest. Well, I, I kind of also wonder, because on my mind, I've, I've been thinking that, okay, there are plenty of coaches, plenty of teams that have great years when they have great players. And maybe that, maybe Mike White is just one of those kind of kind of coaches where when he has the great offense or, you know, the great players, that's when he's going to have the, the great season. But the lineup issues are, are what really kind of kind of scare me when it comes to that, because I've been trying to... You know, I always keep a running tally of the lineups and who's coming back. And, you know, the depth chart, you know, I'm, I'm, I'll be, you know, just thinking to myself, going to sleep, and I'll be counting, okay, who's point guard one, who's second string, you know, shooting guard, those kind of things that I think about. Maybe you do the same thing. Um, but as we think about these portal players, and, and there's so many of them that seem great, you know, that they're really good players and all. But I start wondering, okay, what's the dark side of this? Might we have too many good players all have are experienced who all bring certain things to the table. My God, what are the lineups going to be like <laughs> when you have five guys who come in who have all excelled on some level in a different conference and are all good players and are all maybe good leaders because he's probably going to be guys that fit that personality. Like Mike's going to want to somehow play them all and maybe none at all. And I, I just, uh, I don't know. I, I, I feel like we, we need the offensive coordinator, but somehow we also I guess maybe we need the, the lineup doctor, the analytics guy somehow to, to be like, no, 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 this is the best lineup for this moment. You know, push up his, his glasses and say the, you know, spit it out. You know, I just, uh, I mean, because the thing is that the possibility of things working is there. There's no doubt because he's, I was trying to think who's the worst, what are the worst transfers Mike White has had? Like, Jalen Hudson, kind of. I mean, like, Canyon Barry because he was banged up. I mean, but, but really, no one has really failed. I mean, I guess maybe I'm, I'm blocking somebody out. So all the guys they've got, because the way that they interview guys, have been good players. And when you look at the guys that they're, they're in with, we're not seeing scrubs. I mean, there's one guy that mentioned Florida for his top two. And I'm like, hmm, is this a real top two or is he just saying he's coming because he wants Okay. But everyone else is like, wow, good player, good player, good player, pedigree, pedigree. So he's not getting scrubs, and so I expect even even if he gets the worst level of guys that he's gotten before, they're gonna be pretty good players. But how will he use them? Will he be will they will they fit together in the, in the right way? That's where I, I expect probably not. But maybe they're good enough where it doesn't matter and all. So I don't know. Maybe I think maybe I went a lot of places on that somehow. <laughs> Yes. Well, you know, I appreciated the uh, the reference of, of of maybe someone coming in who has a knowledge of analytics and could help with some of the uh, the questions that uh, that Mike White seems to have about uh, uh, about a few issues that yeah he just seemed a little exasperated about in postseasons. Um, but uh, so I like that. And again, I think that uh, this is going to be such an interesting summer for 
uh, for recruiting transfers where uh, Florida looks like they, they might end up with like four players off the portal that are all going to be probably looked at as guys who can play right away. So uh, I, I do think that it will be very interesting to see how Florida uh, projects these transfers. Um, like you said, Malik, I think I think Florida's had success all around. I mean, Jalen Hudson had such a fantastic first season. Yeah, it was yeah. pretty disastrous the second time, but man, that that one season alone made it. I would say made it worth it on, on the whole. So, uh, yeah, I mean, just they've had really good success. But it'd just be interesting to see, yeah, to see this year where, um, yeah, you might have a guy who's a high major to high major transfer, um, but maybe played at a bad high major team. Or, oh, here's a guy who played at a low major and got a ton of buckets. Or here's a mid-major player who rebounded the ball really well. Um, of course, that's why I'm pretty interested with the, the stuff that I was doing, you know, before last year with Teruji and, um, and Tyree Appleby in terms of, you know, trying to project what kind of stats they'll have. But, um, yeah, I, I think that Florida is just going to have to really think, like, yeah, you don't want to have – three players that you recruit in the transfer portal that are going to be primary ball handlers or three guys that can be your power forwards. They're going to have to be pretty savvy about how they build things here. We see all these comments in the, in the comment box, or at least I do. And we're going to get to a bunch of them. Um, You know, I think that one thing that, that they need to do uh, when one thing we need to do when we talk about the portal, which we'll get to in just a second, is recognize that that is a challenge, that Malik is absolutely right. Because what you're doing right now is replacing Lasifo, who's 1.9 points a game and 2.6 rebounds. A lot, um, of foul, a lot of fouls to replace. Yep, yeah, a, whole, a whole lot of fouls um, and five moving screens. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Okay, Omar Payne. 3.9 points per game, 3.4 points. energy rebounds. leadership, you know. Eight, eight, eight moving screens. <laughs> um, um, so you got to replace 13 moving screens. Um, these are actually real numbers. I counted oh, them. Um, and then you got a – Lies, Aaron, lies. Yeah. You got Quez Glover, 2.5 points per and 0.7 assists. So there's three of the guys in the portal. That's a lot of production right there that, that you got to deal. No, um, it's it's a challenge. Malik is absolutely right, and like I don't that guy. So the story on Isaiah Moore, by the way, who's the dude that all of a sudden out of nowhere, like he's on no message board. I heard nothing, and all of a sudden, like Florida's a finalist or like Cincinnati, where like John Brandon might be the coach, but might not. I don't know what's going on. Um, he's from <laughs> Sumter, South Carolina, right? And he grew up with CJ Felder. So the little right. backstory on that is like that's that's a dude that grew up with CJ Felder. And maybe he's just like, hey, I'm gonna throw this Florida logo up here and, and maybe they can package us. We can be a package like deal and, and play ball again together. Um, I don't know, man. I mean, he's I didn't I'll, I'll be honest, I think somebody in one of the message board chats I'm in was like watching his like video and stuff and like I did not go and check out a bunch of Isaiah Moore video uh but but all those things are are challenging Ryan too big ask uh real quick any chance of late 2021 guys wasn't Wesley Cardet a name to monitor at one time uh, he was uh, I think Florida pretty much backed off on a on academics um on that front I don't think that Florida's gonna sign any freshmen I don't know if Eric's heard 
anything to the contrary. And, and Malik's pretty well connected with some of the rivals folks. So maybe he has uh, some, some insight on that front. Uh, yeah. yeah I mean, guys, I, friends mentioned, but they're old from back in the day. I think like you mentioned, go, go ahead, Eric. I'm sorry. No, well, I mean, I'm blanking on his name right now. There's uh, the the Czech guy from from Hamilton Heights, big man. Uh, I, I know he's still out there as, as someone right. that the Florida did recruit, but but again, in terms of, uh, yeah, I'm not totally sure. But I, I I mean, it'll be interesting to see this summer, really, um, especially with the prevalence of of a lot of the post grad uh, programs in, in Florida. Um, I'd be interested if Florida gets someone who, again, might not be like someone who went through the system as a top 100 or top 150 player, but, uh, but yeah, someone who maybe made a name for themselves on the post-grad circuit and, and Florida can get a, a recruit who might be like 19 or 20 years old. Um, and be a little bit more experienced and, but maybe a little less heralded. So maybe that's someone they fill it up with, but, uh, uh, yeah, there's not really anyone that, uh, uh, that I'm particularly aware of. I, I, I really think the Florida would rather have transfers right now, to be honest. And Ben Middlebrooks, one of their targets for next season, has decided not to reclassify. Um, so uh, that's not that's not something that's happening. I think Ben needs to get a little stronger and, and wisely recognized uh, that that wiry six ten frame is is not quite ready for college hoops at seventeen. Um, so with with that out, I'm not really sure uh, that that's something that Florida's going to do. They are in on C.J. Felter, who is expected to decide as early as tomorrow. Um, you know, any oh, any thoughts on him? As, any thoughts on him as a player, Eric? I really like him. Um, I know Boston College wasn't very good, but uh, he's a player who has really some really good numbers. I mean, uh, the one thing I think for for starters is he is like a real true power forward body, which there is not a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Um, six foot seven, two hundred and thirty pounds, and just looked like so comfortable. Uh, banging with a bunch of bigger players down low. But at the same time, I, I, I think he's really functionally athletic. Like he doesn't have a bunch of like poster dunks or uh, massive blocks, but um, well, he's an incredible shot blocker. He doesn't have like the Omar Payne, you know, reach it at 12 feet in the air. But, uh, but yeah, CJ Felder, incredible, incredible shot blocker. But again, I, I just think very functional athlete, just like, like hang in the air, jump off two feet, finish over the top. Um, good, re- like really good first step. Uh, when it was coming to switching out on perimeter players, I thought he moved really well. So like, I'm like, man, this is a guy who's like six foot seven, 230 pounds, um, but can really move well. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely, definitely a fan of his. Well, I mean, it would also be nice to have something positive to stem the tide. I mean, <laughs> right now, so much momentum, I mean, for the casual fan, but even really for the diehard fan is like, Body blow, body blow, knock him out. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's so many, um, you know, the, the, the news is coming hard and fast. And it, there's not, the only, that's the only positive, I guess, is Justin Missy got a, a head coaching job. I guess that's kind of positive. But everything else, is it's like guys leaving or guys de- declaring. And even though, you know, we're well used to spin because that's, that's how we think. I'm like, how's this probably going to work? Maybe it's not as big a deal as we think, but there's definitely not like, anything that you can hold your, hold your head to. And even going back to what y'all were saying before, what could happen this summer uh, that would change the mindset of people? I, I don't think there really is anything. I, I don't think you know, people are necessarily, for the most part, going to be doom and gloom. I think, I think you can get to kind of a, a, a midpoint of things. But in the end, you know, this coaching staff and team needs to not lose at home 
and compete for the SEC. And until that happens, there's going to be some skepticism and, and worry and stuff, you know. But uh, but yeah, getting a guy, a guy like like Keller as a commitment, something like that, that would definitely be a positive thing. A guy that other people were interested in, that you closed on, you could really solve that. Now, if it doesn't happen, it's not the end of the world, but it would be nice. Well, Malik, that was going to be my closing question for for you that you jumped to is uh, is is the question that I asked Neil about uh, what would change the the perception. But uh, you you beat me to it, so I'm glad to, glad you happened to be listening and and you got in on that. But uh, uh, Neil, what do you think about uh, about CJ Felder? <laughs> no, I mean I I like Drew Helmich's comment that he feels like Felder has Taruji LaTeX highlights as set versus ACC opponents, um, and like uh, on a bad team, not a good mm-hmm. team like Daruji was on. Uh, so, you know, I, I mean, I think he's a difference maker. I think he'd be absolutely a difference maker. Um, you know, I do wonder if we keep – this is like a rotate. The portal show has become the rotation show. I do, like, wonder where he would play, like what – how does he fit in and, and what types of rotations would Mike use him in. Um, like that's a curious thought with Keontae posting uh, – hoops highlights on his Instagram, you know, oh, man. There, there are moments where you salivate a little bit thinking about a CJ Felder there to, to space the floor or seal for Keontae Johnson. I mean, good Lord. Yeah. Even, even Blanco Wayne couldn't mess that up, but um, <laughs> so I had to, had to get one in from, uh, from Eric's stadium and Gale. Yeah. <laughs> but uh <laughs> But, no, wasn't it nice to see, like, I mean, Keontae – and people were like, well, when are those highlights from? And then you see guys with, like, COVID masks playing, and you're like, oh, that was yesterday. So, but, I mean, look, Malik's right. Like, the program needs – they need some positive wow. energy. When you're when you're beat reporter, like, your one team reporter uh, that, that has all access is writing a story about how, well, actually – We've graduated a lot of players and our APR rate is the highest in the SEC. And we have the most SEC all academic kids. Uh, when when that's like the story team reporter is writing, you know that the narrative outside is bad, right? Um, and, and like, let's be clear. Yeah. That, to stuff was to- that stuff was totally unfair uh, to Mike and the staff. But you're still like, that shouldn't be that shouldn't be something that ever has to be published no it, it, it's true and again i just feel like like people who used like just using the term graduate um it, well one i just feel like it's like look at some of these other schools that Florida would like to be in the same discussion as uh, they don't, they don't grad, they don't, you know, quote unquote, graduate a lot of guys cause they go league. So like, that's probably where Florida wants to be in a lot of ways. And, and again, just like at the same time, yes, I think you could make a comment regarding, you know, players, players leaving. Right. And, uh, but uh, the opposite of leaving is not necessarily graduation. So using oh Florida doesn't graduate guys, yeah, it just got into a whole different sphere of conversation that it probably didn't need to. So yeah, that's just wild that that he had to write that, unfortunately. But uh, going back to what you said about rotation, I mean, you can disagree with me, but I would say he plays ahead of Daruji. You know, I mean, you know, I, oh yeah, you better j- jump in, Malik, before I give my my CJ Felder take. Oh. <laughs> Well, I was going to say there is one thing that could happen this summer 
which I think would kind of change that narrative a little bit. And obviously that is fully cleared and visible Keontae Johnson, uh, you know, cleared and ready for takeoff, playing basketball, saying, I'm coming back, I'm, I got the boys with me. That that would be a different narrative for, for next year. Now, I don't think that's probably going to happen, especially in that fashion, but it would take some that, on that kind of level to, um, you know, change the thoughts like, oh, wow, Keontae's coming back and he's healthy. All of a sudden, that, that's like it's like washing away a lot of what happened over this last eight months or what, what have you, you know, so. Yeah, that would definitely do it. Um, there's no question. I mean, that would wow, what a story that would be. And uh, I mean, man, if if they know or knew that Keontae Johnson was going to be able to play and was fully cleared, it would probably really change how they uh, how they recruit transfers as well. There's there's no question. And because uh, as it kind of stands right now, it's like, well, is is Colin Castleton the player that you play through, um, or is it Tyree Appleby? And you, uh, or if if it, that's the case, do you feel confident with that, or is it like, no, you need another ball handler with Tyree Appleby? What is it? But uh, but yeah, I mean, if CJ Felder comes, I mean, again, yeah. I I would say I think he's ahead of Drugi in 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 the rotation. I mean, uh, again, something that looking at like these these numbers that would predict how these mid major transfers are going to do. Like again, I predicted that that Anthony Drugi was going to be like an eight point a game player, and I mean, man, he was a all conference USA guy, and even like you know Tyree Appleby, he was someone who I predicted would get eleven points a game, and that's where he was. And it's just like, well, CJ Felder has already shown he can be a ten point a game guy. And I forgot how many rebounds he had, but has a ridiculous defensive rebound rate. Um, he's already proven he can done that. He he can do that at the the high major level. So uh, again, I just think like, and that's something that I think needs to be considered too. Where I think some people would rather have the the mid major guy that averages eighteen points a game. Um, like that's a little bit sexier than the guy who plays for a not good ACC team that averages ten points a game. But the thing is, the guy who averaged ten points in a game in the ACC and has proven he can do that. Mm-hmm. Like he, the fact that he has proven he can score ten points a game at the at the high major level is more than a lot of these mid major guys are are likely going to do. So, uh, again, there might be a sexier name out there in terms of like looking at the box score numbers, but I I do hold Felder in a little bit higher regard than than some of these other other names at the position. And uh, again, just the fact that he has shown he can get you know ten and six at the high major level. Well, that that is more than Anthony Derugi provided. So, uh, while I think Felder was also. Um, well, I think Felder was a better defender than than Drugi was. So, so again, I, if he comes on the roster and say, you know, what are rotations? I, I think that, uh, yeah, I think Felder would be would be your starter. <laughs> Friends, uh, since Eric mentioned it, I'm very curious who the number two ball handler. Drugi started at gonna... three then, or. Oh, yeah, yeah. T- TBD to the to the number two ball handler. I mean, um, Malik with Daruji. I I think yeah, maybe you sneak him some minutes at the three. I don't think he starts at the three. I I think he'd be coming off the bench, and uh, maybe you see depending on again how Jatobo is or whoever else they might get. I mean, they might see Felder playing some at the five, playing those like Tamani Kamara six foot eight kind of centers in the SEC. Maybe you like that matchup with Felder, um, and then you know Daruji plays some four, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I really like Daruji, and I think he's a lot better than what he showed, um, uh, than what he showed as uh, last year. But and and I'm hoping that Daruji, you know, plays better. Um, but uh, yeah, and I, I guess until until we see that, I mean, say Felder comes to Florida um, on my depth chart, um, it would be uh, it'd be Felder starting. I don't know who I'd have starting at the three. That might be a TBD, but I don't think I would have Daruji in that position, and I would have Daruji coming off the bench. I think Scotty Lewis will start at the three. Uh, CJ is 10 points, five rebounds a game. I'll take it, says 
Got Cater. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Kowasi uh, would be at the two next to Appleby. But yeah, I got you. Yeah, that I mean, and you could do that with <laughs> with uh, <laughs> with Scotty at the three. Whatever. Um, I, I'm good with that. Um, number two ball. You don't think they're going to run the offense through Niles Lane, Eric? <laughs> no, that that possibility is there. Um, you know, not well. <laughs> that's. No, number the point guard, uh, yeah, the point guard conversation. You know, it starts and ends with, with there? Niles Lane. There's your secondary, there's your you know primary ball handler right there. That's all you need, baby. Rosell Catholic, Mike Rosario, Niles Lane for three. Um, <laughs> so uh, anytime we get a Mike Rosario shout out in on FBH, it's been a really good show. Let's talk about guards uh, since they came up. Uh, Brandon McKissick uh, says he's really impressed with Mike White. He's a Summit League Defensive Player of the Year. Summit League is not a very good basketball league. Good enough to get to the Sweet 16, uh, your conference tournament champion, and beat the Florida Gators, but not a very good basketball league. Uh, Brandon McKissick was the Defensive Player of the Year. Your thoughts on uh, Mr. McKissick, who will choose between Florida and Kansas, I think. Yeah, we'll see if Missouri gets in the mix with that one too. But uh, no, I, I really love him. Like just someone who's just so versatile. Um, looking at his just offensive profile and what he can do, like whether it's as a whether it's as a primary ball handler in the pick and roll, and then even looking at it a little bit deeper, it was like when he w- pulled up uh, when he took the early early pull up against a pick and roll, he was effective. When he got all the way to the hoop, he was effective. During pass out situations, he was effective. He was effective hitting uh, hitting shooters. He was effective hitting the roll man. Then you look at him as a cutter or as a spot up shooter. He just like. Like there's just so many boxes he checked in. And yeah, of course, this is the Summit League. But again, I might be a little bit more hesitant by someone who, you know, needed to be a pick and roll ball handler who got to the hoop over and over again. And that's what he did at the at the Summit League level. Then I'd be like, well, that's probably not going to translate. But it's like, well, he scored as a cutter. He scored as an off-ball catch-and-shoot guy. He made really good reads out of the pick and roll. There's just a lot, uh, a lot that I like. And yeah, will he be able would he be able to do that all at the high major level? Probably not. But if he can do a couple of those things, that's great. And then um, um, like you mentioned, all league defensive player. Um, I, I obviously Florida is looking to have a little better defensive options at the on the wing, um, and would love to get back to that identity. So, uh, I, honestly, I would uh, if I if I had to say uh, in the backcourt, I think he's my my favorite target of Florida's right now. No, no hot takes on Brandon McKissick from you, Malik. Look, I mean, he, I think that he, he, uh, you know, I think that it's obvious why Kansas. I'm, I'm having a, a little bit of a reconnect what y'all can hear, not hear oh. this, but yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, look, I think, I think he's got, um, so if you look at, 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 it's not his Ken Palm comparison, but Hooplins does comparisons too. And his uh, comparison in terms of field goals at the rim, points per possession against defensively. Uh, and the percentage of his field goals that he makes, the three-point attempts, are identical to Frank Mason's, who is Bill Self's favorite point guard ever. Um, and and Bill Self has said that, uh, and I'm sure Mario Chalmers is like, bro, do you want to fight? Like, but uh, <laughs> yeah. So I think I think it's pretty obvious why Kansas wants him. But then again, Kansas went out and uh, decided to. Uh, decided to sign a, another guard this week. So we'll see 
you know, Eric mentioned uh, Missouri, obviously huge culture problems at Missouri as well with uh, 11 billion people in the, in the transfer portal. No, I'm kidding. Um, so that'll be an interesting one. Cameron Shelton did a virtual visit with Florida today. Uh, the Northern Arizona um, guard. Eric, your thoughts on Cam Shelton? Cause I think that's really a question of fit, especially like the coexistence of him and Tyree Appleby. Yeah, man. He's uh he's about that size. Um, played in a league that was really bad. Uh, the big sky. Uh, he played on a team that was very bad. Um, but, uh, but man, he does have a little bit of that, that big shot making, um, can hit, hit, hit shots off the bounce, uh, is really kind of fun, energetic, uh, pass the ball, passes the ball really, really well. Um, but, uh, like you said, he looks a whole lot like, uh, like Tyree Appleby. And, and again, it's just like, does, does Florida want to play two small guards again? Um, do they want to, do they want to have some, again, this is goes into a little bit of like, well, how are you planning on, on playing? Is it going to be a lot of pick and rolls for Tyree Appleby? Is it going to be playing with, uh, uh, with Colin Castleton? Um, well, what, if you're getting another guard, uh, well, is, do you want it to be someone who's, who's, you know, again, like looks a lot like Tyree Appleby, uh, not a great shooter, um, not a great catch and shoot guy. He's just like us. And again, this is something I kind of actually alluded to with, something I didn't like for some major plays. Um, you, you look at his numbers. He got a whole, he did a whole lot in his league by getting all the way to the rim and finishing out of pick and roll. A lot of pick and rolls where he, yeah, got all the way to the hoop. That is just a tough thing for an undersized guard to do at the sec. Um, so I see the way that he got his points. I don't see it particularly translatable. So yeah, I, I he, he's a player that I don't think is going to be great at the high major level. Uh, he's someone who, like you said, I don't think fits really well. Like I, if Florida were to get him, I'd probably find myself excited uh, just because he is, a, he is pretty fun at times. But um, the only way I would really see it working is if he was a true backup point guard um, that didn't play a whole lot next to Tyree Appleby. And, and I don't think that that's probably much of a pitch to, uh, to a guy like him. So we had this comment uh, from Ryan asking if he committed to Loyola Marymount. And all I know is that he conducted uh, that he had talked to Florida and done a virtual visit. So this is the guy that we're talking about. Uh, if he has uh, or decided to go to Loyola Marymount, then that's proof of how fast things change uh, in the portal. And um, you know, I'm kind of I'd be like I'm I'm seeing on Twitter now that that's a couple hours ago that that that's uh, something that they seem to have done oh. and, and added him. Uh, so should have looked before the show. Um, my bad. looks like he committed. My so, point uh, stands. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, that's interesting to me, like with Louisville talking to him too, and like with one of his comps being Carly Jones, like you thought, like I'm kind of surprised that he was just like, you know what, Loyola Marymount is where yeah. I want to be here. Yeah. Well, and then Louisville uh, got Louisville got Jared West, who Florida was looking at, of course. So maybe yeah, that yeah. Up, yeah, the point or uh, took away the point guard spot, I should say. And that might be it. And then maybe Florida really, you know, after Florida was out on West, they it's I think Florida is definitely all in on McKissick. They've had multiple conversations with him, and and Mike really wants that defensive stopper because he lost his best perimeter defender too. So he's got to get somebody. Uh, out there to roll. Tracy says 82 and sunny today in Gainesville. Easy sell. I think that's why Niles Lane is staying, Tracy. I think it's just he likes that sunshine. Um, you know, I don't know. 
Uh, anybody else that, that Florida has spoken to in the portal? I know the East Carolina kid is a guy that we like. Um, anybody else that, that we want to talk about? Yeah, I mean, the one thing that's interesting, too, with with Jane Gardner from, from East Carolina uh, that I think is just, again, kind of like notable is just like, let's, you know, what are the style of players that Florida has looked at? And it's like, well, Florida has looked at uh, pretty much like point guards. I'd say like, yeah, you know, McKissich, uh, uh, like combo guard a little bit more. But, uh, you know, with uh, with Cameron Shelton, with Jared West. Um, you know, they've looked at point guards and then they've looked at guys that could play the four with, with CJ Felder, um, with Isaiah Moore, if they did look at him, we're not totally sure. And then with Jaden Gardner. So I, I think just, uh, it's, it's worth noting that you can kind of see where Florida seems to think that their deficiencies are is that they need ball handling and that they need a capable option at the four. So, I mean, if you want to extrapolate what that could mean for Keontae Johnson, um, you're welcome to, or you're welcome to not do that. Cause that might be depressing. But, uh, but yeah, Jane Gardner, a very interesting player just because, again, East Carolina, not a great school. Um, but uh, uh, three years that, J- that Jane Gardner's been there, and he's just, like, been super productive in every single one of them. Like, in his freshman season, he had 16 points and nine rebounds. Um, last season, he had, like, 18 points and, like, eight rebounds. Uh, so for three years, he's just been super, super productive. Um it- Again, someone who's in that like six foot seven, two hundred and thirty pound range, um, legitimate size, legitimate power forward body. Uh, but uh, you know, as much as again, you can be a little bit hesitant at times regarding um, is some of these you know mid major players and and exactly what they'll be like at the high major level. It's like well. While I, I still am obviously, I'm always going to have those concerns. Uh, if I, well, I haven't got a chance to look at Jaden Gardner's stuff really closely yet, but it's like, man, he's been very, very productive for three straight years. Um, guys that come into college basketball and are instantly productive and keep that production going for three seasons, uh, that's probably someone I'm going to bet on on figuring it out at the, uh, um, you know, at, at the high major level if that's where he ends up going. So, so I do like him. Malik, what do you what do you want to see them do in the portal? I mean, they've got a what I know what your answer is going to be, but I want you to tell everybody why you need two point guards. I think Malik's having all sorts of connection issues, but if we get him back, we're we're good. He's muted. Oh no! Oh, there we go. I tried to unmute him here. I'm going to try to hop back in a moment. If you can hear me. <laughs> okay. We, we can hear you now. We can hear you now. Yeah. So I was asking you about, about two okay. point guards um, in the portal. Well, I, mean, I, I, I think I feel like, I feel like Kawhi see, mm-hmm. well, it's going to be nice to finally have those one because I will be, I, I don't think what I thought he might. Um, he was just so kind of, physically kind of balled up at, at times and the rest were not buying any of his cells all year. <laughs> they were not giving him any calls when, when it came to, uh, you know, what he was doing going to the lane. I thought a lot of times he was getting crunched and the rest were like, no, I don't see anything. <laughs> the only time they started to him was when his head was literally opened up in the tournament. And they're like, well, we'll give you a few calls. Yeah, there's blood. Okay, fine. You know, um, but with some of these guys they're looking at now, who Larry West has, obviously he's not um, an option anymore. But these guys are a little more physical, a little more uh, tested in that nature. So hopefully that'll help. I also think 
I'm wondering, I'm wondering how far down the list Kwesi is from being the best point guard to guard or small forward. Maybe he is the best of all three. He has the talent to make haste at any of those positions because you see him handling, you see him shooting, you see him doing all the different things. And that if you need him to give him, it feels like he can do it. If you need him to give your shooting, if you need him to be even a rebounder, maybe I, I've just been concentrating on, on too long. Those but in my mind, he feels like he can maybe spackle some of the issues that that we we kind of foresee, you know. So, what do you think, Eric? Yeah, I mean, as someone who loves Quasi, Quasi uh, Reeves, I. I, I think he might have those abilities to make that kind of huge impact as a freshman. But I just, I, again, as, as, and I say this as someone who's been hyping him up for like two years now, I, I do just wonder if some people do need to temper their expectations. I, I, again, there, it, it is just tough for, for freshmen to, uh, to always shoulder massive loads right, right away. And, and have, and again, if you just look up and down the recruiting yeah. rankings year to year, there's a lot of great players who, um, five-star players who like went on to either have great college careers or go on and have great NBA careers. And they just like, weren't guys who could be leaned on as, as primary options in, as freshmen. And again, that's, that's tough. It's not, nothing to take away from them. So, you know, for someone like, uh, like Quasi, who's got, you know, good length, good, uh, he's going to be able to shoot over the top of guys. He's got a good handle, a uh, great feel for the game. I, I really do think he's going to figure it out quickly. But again, it's just like one of those things where it's like, man, if he is Florida's, best offensive player like what does that what does that tell you about about florida next year um but then i see like yeah if he could be your uh, your sixth man or or yeah maybe they they get a really good like again if they get mckitchis brandon mckissick uh mckissich um maybe maybe that is like a he plays at the two and then kwasi plays at the three i know that would be you know scotty lewis wouldn't be in that equation but again if you've got three ball handlers out there and 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 Kwesi is your, your third ball handler um, that you know, he might be the best third ball handler in the SEC. And, and that could be just electric for your offense. So uh, yes, I do think that that Reeves could be, that could, could cover up some of those holes. But again, I just don't know if you want to go into the right. season where it's kind of like he's being relied on for that. So another, another guy that they're, um, Kind of looking at is uh, Noah Gurley. We've never had a season where you're going to have like five or six guys coming in. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, and it's. I mean, that's why I don't really worry about what it portends for Keontae when you have Osifo and Payne gone. Like until they're taking three forwards, I don't really freak out too much about it. Um, but but I do wonder, you know, where they're going to be um, in terms of of you know, that other spot, is it going to be a guy like Noah Gurley? Uh, is it going to be a Stanley Amude, uh, who's another guy that I know they're having conversations with? I think Gardner's probably a long shot based on, you know, just kind of some of the, the way that Virginia and Tennessee in particular have been like super aggressive and beating on his doors. Um, and, and Tennessee, I mean, there's a scenario right now where Tennessee has what, three returning players. So they could be basically Arkansas from a year ago. Worked out okay for Muss, but, um, <laughs> you know. Uh, by the way, did you see Desi Sills, one of the three returning Razorbacks from last year? Uh, he hit the portal tonight. Wow. I did not see that. That's crazy. Yeah. 
So Noah Gurley, uh, any any thoughts on him? Because I know it's another guy that has virtually visited. Yeah, I mean the thing with Noah Gurley that I just uh, well, first of all, I think the SoCon that he that Furman plays in um, is a lot better than. Uh, a lot of people would, would think. I think it's just like an mm-hmm. awesome – I think, it, it, again, it's a tough league because you look at the teams at the top with like UNC Greensboro uh, and like uh, East Tennessee State and, and Wofford and, and Furman's been up there. Like the, the top of the league is really strong, but then they just have VMI and, and the Citadel, which like really bring the league down, um, unfortunately, um, just due to the nature of, of those schools and recruiting. But but Furman is, is a team that uh, – uh, has been really good the last couple of years. They were 96 in Ken Palm and I think 75th in the net. So like a, a really good team. And uh, some people also remember that they played Alabama within three points. Uh, the one possession game to, to lose to Alabama. That's that's pretty good. So Furman was was really good. And, and Noah Gurley was a very good player for them. Um, again, someone who... I would say is a, I would say is a power forward. He played uh, played center for Furman, but I think the Gators would like him as a as a power forward. Someone with really good defensive rebounding numbers and um, someone who's really efficient, kind of uh, offensively, really good hands around the rim, and, and someone who can really space it out. He shot a ton of threes and and shot them pretty well. So uh, yeah, I really like Noah Gurley, and I really like an interview he did with uh, with twenty four seven that he he joked about um, a school with good dining was uh, was going to play uh, play big into where he he chooses to go to. I love that. <laughs> I love any, anybody with that kind of sense of humor would be a good fit. Uh, is Kawasi versus Cam Thomas a fair comparison of best case scenario? I, I wouldn't say that. I think it's more of uh, – with Kawasi Reeves, I think it's more of a Moses Moody type situation where um, the only difference being that we knew that Moses Moody could defend by the time he was a senior at Montverde, and we're not so sure about – uh, Kwasi, not because he doesn't care about defense or anything like that, just like level of competition. We're not sure. Is that fair, uh, Eric? Yeah, that's fair. And obviously he is, he is pretty slight. Uh, he still needs to put on some, some muscles. So we'll see exactly where he's at on, on opening tip. But yeah, I would say like, uh, watching him play, they, his team like to play some, some zone with him kind of like at, at the top of it. And just his length was just like, menacing to the schools he was playing against and had all kinds of, uh, of steals and, and generated turnovers that way. So uh, not, not something that was like super easy to project to what he'd be like at Florida. So yeah, I'd have to just, again, like assume like for most freshmen um, that he's not going to be, you know, super far advanced on the defensive end at, at least right away. So yeah, that would be, that'd be my thought on, on, on Reeves as a defender. Let me, let me, let's close with this. And I want to make sure if Malik's technical issues are, are uh, somewhat resolved. We get him on an, uh, in on this question first. So, like, right now there is only one coaching spot. There's been some rumblings about maybe another one opening up. But, I mean, where are you going? Are you going young, hot, offensive minds, sort of like Michigan did when they brought in Luke Yaklik? Uh Chris Acker, I think, is, is really the guy I think is the best. I'm going to be real honest. I mean, if you look at the jump those San Diego State guards took when he got there, uh, I don't know. That seems pretty good. Um, and then this year, they leave and they still are top 40 in, in Kempom. Couldn't figure out that 2-3 against the Qs in the tournament. But, uh, you know, it was funny. We had a podcast where Eric was talking about how he loves the offense they run. And, by the way, Brian Dutcher – gave him the reins on that offense, which took a lot of guts when you waited as long as Brian did to become a head coach. Um, and it worked. Or 
Malik? Are you going veteran head coach? Are you sitting around going, man, come on, South Carolina Board of Trustees. Pull the trigger on Frank. We need him in the Ville. Somebody like Larry Shiat, who Billy Donovan was like, look, when I'm being an idiot, tell me I'm being an idiot. I think that my first thought would be I want the former head coach who has a connection with Mike White on some level, who he respects, who knows how to, you know, run a program and maybe had all the things that he wished he had done when he was a head coach. Obviously, you know, Andy Kennedy would have been the perfect one if Rob Evans was 10 or 15 years younger. He would have been the perfect choice. But beyond that, I really quietly expand a wide net. I do like the Knicks did in their coaching search, which for once, you know, you usually want to point to the Knicks as, uh, you know, a bash and doing it the right way. But they interviewed so many candidates, um, whether it be assistants, former head coaches, head coaches, and stuff. And I've seen in watching teams prepare staff, when you pass a wide net, you can really see what people are thinking maybe outside the box, you can get more ideas. Um, even when you don't hire a person, they can point you to somebody else. Because ideally, you, I'm not sure, if, maybe you want a head coach. Maybe you want an offensive coordinator. Maybe you want a great recruiter. Maybe you want an analyst. But to get the brains of all those players, of those coaches in this process is the most important thing because there's a lot of flaws that Coach White has, and you want to address those things. And to bring in sharp people and say, how would you – Help us in this program. What would you bring? You've seen us. You've watched our tape. What would you bring? And to pick all those coaches' brains, that might be more, you know, beneficial than even the hire. Just to be able to talk to smart people around the country who've done this before and figure out how to get it right. Because we, we there's something rotten in Denmark. <laughs> we got to find the way to to get this figured out. You know. This is why we bring Malik on, Eric, so we can get biblical references and Hamlet references. Uh, Malik, Malik Grady, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, we got to do this more and get his internet fixed. So, I mean, Cox Communications just killing us tonight. Um, Eric. Yeah, definitely. I'm not sure what's going on. I, I apologize, fellas. <laughs> no, you don't, you don't need to apologize. We're so, we're so grateful you joined us and for all the support and good takes you've given us over the years. Uh, whether on our show or, or in our DMs. Eric, your thoughts on, on my question. Are, I mean, are you – I think Malik just convinced me I'd rather have a head coach. But are you going former head coach or are you going young, hot assistant? Obviously, we all think Eric Fawcett should be on staff. but uh, Yeah, maybe maybe my name will enter the search for, you know, the current vacant uh, analyst, uh, director of team strategy and analytics position. But, uh, you, you know, I really just want, like, again, I want the I want the best schematic coach you can get. And uh, again, like, that's, that's one thing where, like, again, like, I, I know Malik, you referenced someone like a former head coach who, who knows how to, uh, you know, run a program. Well, it's like, I, I don't think I, I have any problems with the way that, that white runs things. And, and kind of, I, I don't, I, I don't feel like the, the Florida program lacks experience or, or leadership in, in, in the way that they kind of like run things on a whole. Again, I, I think the biggest problem is with Florida basketball has just been that they, they go into games with with game plans that I, I don't think are great and they're not able to make adjustments that I think are great. I think that they lack high level 
tactical coaching. And I think that they need to get the best man for that job. And um, again, that's something where even Malik, you said too, like uh, regarding like, Hey, have interview a whole bunch of people. Like, again, I, I want to get someone who it's like, Hey, we had these problems. How would you address them? Like, and not like some flowery, thing where they use the word culture seven times in a sentence like no like let's get out a clipboard or hey let me show me clips of your team show me film like uh, i need a bright tactical mind and and i said this on other podcasts i'm going to reiterate it look at the transfer portal right now like yes you're recruiting you're you have to recruit transfers but it's very different than than high school recruiting and typical recruiting sure i i would love to have the best possible recruiter but I think recruiting is is going to become I, I I like easier isn't the the right word, but I think that again, guys that are you know recruiters first, I, I think recruiting transfers is a whole different game, and I think everyone's going to be able to get good talent from the transfers. Again, I really think that basketball at the high major level is going to come down to um, guys who can really coach the games, X's and O's, scheme, scouting adjustments. So so I, I would say again, if I had to go former coach or young hot offense in mind i'd definitely be towards i get like my you know that my stereotype would then be i guess like a a young guy who um is maybe a bright offensive mind um uh, but hey if that is the coach and that's it but again i just i don't feel like i don't feel like white needs someone experienced next to him i don't think that that's necessarily the problem um he needs someone who can run an offense um make quick adjustments um and uh yeah that would be that would be my my kind of thought get the best tactical offensive mind you can All right. I mean, I, you know, I think this is that that's an interesting debate and um, it's certainly one that, you know, I'm sure they'll, they'll get down to that assistant hire whenever they figure out what's going on with their roster. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think there should be some answers starting tomorrow from, from what I'm hearing uh, at least as it relates to CJ Felder Brandon McKissick said he wants to go home for Easter, having decided a school. So I think a couple big dominoes could could fall either for Florida or, or against Florida. And as you know, the the Twitter timeline will be pure, purely rational and and calm. Uh, either way that things go, just saying. Uh, <laughs> a flame. <laughs> happy uh, Happy Easter, holy days to everybody. Um, that's celebrating whether you're you're uh, celebrating Passover or have or or Easter or any of the holidays that are coming up. We we will return. Uh, you know who knows when that will be. Like Eric said, you could like hit play on this pod and be like, there's season one audio type issues and everything has changed and they just talked about Cam Shelton for five minutes and he committed four hours ago. <laughs> um, so, you know, we, we really could be back tomorrow night, but um, we appreciate all of you. Thanks, Malik. Thanks, guys. Uh, love you guys. Love the show. It's been a blessing to get to know you guys. Um, yeah, I'd do it again sometime. <laughs>